Hey everyone, welcome to the Dorenda Wilson podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to seven, and 25-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The 4-Hour School Day that has recently been published. The subtitle is How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life. It's based on my 25 years of experience homeschooling our eight kids. I show you why you don't have to force your kids to spend hours slaving over bookwork all day in order to have a rich, full education. I take the overwhelm out of home education and show you how doable it really is. This book is packed with inspirational ideas that will equip you to become, be able to home educate in a way that is a custom fit for your family. It's a huge encouragement to families who are new to homeschooling or who are already homeschooling. I've heard from veteran moms who have loved this book. One of them read the whole thing in one sitting. So it really is for a vast and varied wide audience. The four-hour school day is available on Amazon, at your favorite bookseller, or on my website, DorendaWilson.com. If you've read the book, could you do me a huge favor? Please go and leave a review at Amazon or with uh, whatever bookseller you bought the book from. This allows the book to be seen by more moms as they're browsing these websites. I'd also love for you to subscribe to my website. You're probably asking why. Well, here's why. Because my subscriber community is the place to receive support and get your questions answered. You'll not only receive all the latest podcasts, but every Wednesday you'll receive a weekly video of encouragement from me along with any resources that I think would be helpful, and I'm very picky about those resources. You'll also receive mentorship from me and support from this community of moms because one Wednesday a month, I hold a live Zoom call for all subscribers so they can ask questions and receive personal mentorship. I want to provide you with the support you need for your homeschooling journey. There is no cost. This is my gift to you, my subscribers. I would love to connect with you. All right. Well, a while back, when many were struggling to come to terms with how poorly much of the church as a whole has handled Romans 13, I had our pastor, Pastor Wes, give all of us a much clearer interpretation. It was so encouraging. Maybe some of you remember that podcast. Um, In fact, many of you reached out to say how encouraged you were. Now, a few Sundays ago, that same pastor gave a powerful message on the importance of fulfilling our duty as parents when it comes to giving our kids a biblical education. It was very powerful, and I wanted to share it with all of you today. So listen in. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. This morning in our teaching on masculinity, femininity, marriage, and family, we come to family, or more specifically, parenting, receiving and bringing up little ones in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that the gospel and obedience to it might be passed down from generation to generation. Ultimately, that's what we're after in our endeavor as families. That's what we're called to. You may remember Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 from the first message in this series. It says this, Did he, God, not make them one 
that being a husband and a wife, with a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. When God put you and your spouse together in a covenant, he was seeking something as the product of that union, namely, godly offspring. Two texts to begin our consideration of parenting. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Now, if you would flip to the next chapter, Matthew chapter 19, and find verse 13. It says this, Then children were brought to him, that being the Lord Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. And went away. It's clear that our Lord loves children. There is much about their disposition that we are to emulate as adults trust, humility, asking questions instead of assuming that you have the answers, a sweet, unquestioning, and unshakable faith in their Father. We grow out of these things not because we become more mature, but primarily because we become more prideful. We are not intended to become less trusting, less humble, less desirous of receiving answers from a reliable source, or less, or, or excuse me, have less faith and more verification as we age. We're just supposed to be a more thoughtful and mature version of those things which we see in our children. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says that whoever causes a child to sin is storing up great wrath for himself. But then he clarifies his meaning in verse 7 of chapter 18 when he says, It is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Our Lord knows that children will stumble and sin by virtue of being in a world that seeks to entice them to follow their basest desires. He isn't holding one individual responsible for the existence of temptation in the world or for the stumbling of children into that temptation. But he is offering a special woe or a special warning to those through whom the door of temptation is opened to children. He's saying doors to temptation are going to be open, but they had better not be opened by you. In Matthew chapter 19, he says not to hinder the children from coming to him. Don't erect barriers that would prevent children access to or understanding of Christ. Now, I realize that these are general woes. These are general warnings. But what group of people has the most frequent occasion to lead children into temptation or to hinder them from coming to Christ? 
Well, naturally, it is those who are given charge over them, that being parents. So this morning, and at least one other week, we'll consider common ways that modern Christian parents tempt and hinder our children to their detriment and to our own. Today I'm going to focus on what I believe is the most obvious and common way that modern Christian parents set up our children for failure, both tempting and hindering them. And that is that we do not give them a Christian education. We do not give them a Christian education. That is to say that we do not obey Proverbs 22, verse 6. You know it. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now let me pause here for a moment and make something clear. My aim in this message is not primarily to indict, but to refute some false doctrines. I do not believe that the majority of Christian parents who currently send their children to either public schools or pseudo-Christian schools are derelict, negligent, or intentionally tempting uh, and hindering their children. I just think that they believe some lies that need to be exposed as such. Titus chapter 2 tells us to refute false doctrines, not to yell at Christians who do not yet know that the doctrines they are living out are false. So, there are some things that I want to convince you of this morning, both from God's Word and by way of general observation, that perhaps you haven't considered before. Here they are. Number one, there is no such thing as a religiously neutral education. There is no such thing as a religiously neutral education. And even if there were, Christians should not be interested in it. Two, God's Word calls us to provide our children with a Christian education. God's Word calls us to provide our children with a Christian education. And third, the consequences of unfaithfulness to God's Word on this point are already evident to everyone in the room. Many of us just haven't followed that evidence where it leads. So, to start the process of refuting false doctrines embraced by many Christian parents, uh, I'll take the primary false belief to which those parents often hold. It goes something like this. You've probably heard this before, or have thought it, perhaps. I'm sending my children to receive a morally and religiously neutral education from the state. I let the state teach math, and we'll handle Bible and religious studies at home. Maybe you've thought that way before. Now, this sounds reasonable to the lion's share of Christian parents, but there are enormous problems here. Number one, non-Christians aren't morally or religiously neutral. Non-Christians are not morally or religiously neutral. Don't try to turn to these passages. I just want to read them to you. You can jot them down if you want to consider them further. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, speaking of non-Christians. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 8 verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, that being those who do not know God, walk in the futility of their minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In short, non-Christians are ignorant enemies of God with darkened hearts who we are told not to be in partnership with. And somehow we have taken from that an understanding that it is acceptable to send our children to them to be educated. I don't believe that it is acceptable, but even if it were, why would you want your child educated by ignorant enemies of God with darkened hearts? So non-Christians are, according to Scripture, not neutral and are therefore not capable of educating our children neutrally. But in truth, we didn't need those Bible verses in order to identify the lack of neutrality, did we? Is the public school system religiously neutral? Or is it in fact antagonistic toward and opposed to the Christian faith? Is the public school system neutral on the doctrine of creation? Or have they taken a stance on that? It isn't neutral to teach that there is no creator and that the world leapt into existence by virtue of a Big Bang. That is not neutral. That's an unscientific, non-verifiable faith proposition being asserted in place of the Christian doctrine of creation. Is the public school system neutral on the doctrine of man and an understanding of human sexuality, or have they taken a stance on that? It isn't neutral to teach that man is not fallen, is not sinful, and therefore whatever his sexual preferences are must be respected and acknowledged as human rights. Is the public school system neutral on the transgender debate? Or have they taken a stance there as well? To quote Greg Bonson, who's very helpful on this issue, I'd commend him to you. The non-believer isn't neutral, and you shouldn't be either. The lack of neutrality is immediately exposed by the fact that a public school teacher is allowed to say, quote, love is love, but is not allowed to say marriage is between a man and a woman. That's not neutrality. It is a secular religion with stringently enforced dogmas. And I'm sure you know that those in the public school system who press against those dogmas will soon be excommunicated from the secular church that is the public school. The lack of neutrality is also seen in the fruit that public education has borne. With each year of its reign, which system of belief is growing and which system of belief is shrinking? Secularism continues to grow in influence while Christianity steadily declines. Why? Why is that? Because one is taught at school to the exclusion of, no, in opposition to, the other. And for those who don't like me referring to secularism as a belief system, let me prove to you briefly that it is. Secularists like to cast themselves in the role of the rationalist, don't they? They don't believe themselves to have a belief system. They believe themselves to have facts. Right? I follow the science. Heard that one before? Right? I operate based on evidence and reason, not faith. Heard these kinds of things? Okay. All right. I got it. That's awfully enlightened of you. Okay. Uh, do you believe that it's wrong when Muslims in Mosul were throwing homosexuals off of buildings? Well, of course they believe it was wrong. The problem is that they can't account for rightness and wrongness because science doesn't tell you that. Empiricism does not get you there. Science may tell you what is, but it does not tell you what ought to be. 
Once you start talking about rights and justice and equity, you aren't talking about things that you can show me under a microscope. You're talking about metaphysical presuppositions that you cannot substantiate but strongly believe anyway. In other words, faith. There is nothing other than religion. All we've got are competing faith claims. And the fastest way to expose that is by asking the questions, why and who says? Why and who says? Equal rights for trans people is a very important thing. Why? Who says? Well, I do, and lots of other people with blue hair and strange facial piercings who agree with me. Okay, well, at one time in history, much more normal, articulate, and socially well-adjusted people agreed that enslaving people based on their skin color was okay. Do we determine these things by general consensus then? Is that what you're saying? What's, what's the standard? What's your source of authority that grounds your assertions? I can tell you this, church. It isn't something that they can show you under a microscope, demonstrate through the scientific method, or reason to in any sort of transcendental way. Why is that? Because it is a religious proposition. They have faith in it. And little is more obvious than that the people with the blue hair and the facial piercings, as well as the public school system that produced that group of people, have no problem whatever imposing their religious beliefs on us. They are not neutral. They are proselytizing and increasingly attempting to use the force of the government to pressure us into converting to their religion, or at a minimum, privatizing our own. Basic Christian doctrine is not simply not taught in public schools, it is anathematized and argued against. Whether it's our understanding of creation, or our understanding of marriage, or sexuality, all of these basic tenets of our faith are not simply put to the side in favor of purely academic pursuits. They are argued against as a matter of academic pursuit. So it is simply false that public education is neutral. But even if it was, Christians would be duty-bound to reject it, because a neutral education would fall woefully short of our theological commitments. We aren't commanded to educate our children neutrally. We're commanded to train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Whole life, top to bottom, full immersion. Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're called to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the word that's translated instruction there is the Greek word paideia. It means, quote, the whole training and education of a child. The whole training and education of a child. So, so Ephesians 6.4 is telling fathers to make sure that the whole training and education of his children is an education that is, quote, of the Lord. The whole thing of the Lord. So I'm arguing this morning that Scripture commands that we give our children a Christian education, not a neutral one. So again, even if public schools were neutral, and they aren't, Christians would still be obligated by God's Word to make a different choice. Now let's talk briefly about the damage that is done to our children when we withhold a Christian education from them. 
And in order to be as fair as possible, I'm going to leave to, to the side the very real possibility and growing statistical reality that they go to a public school and as a result of the influences there, determine that they are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Again, I'll leave that to the side, not because it isn't a good point, just because it's too easy. When we seek, or excuse me, when, when we seek to have a Christian household, as those of you who would be willing to meet in a barn in summer, I would imagine, are saying, yes, Christian household, right? When we seek to have a Christian household, but do not offer our children a Christian education, we're teaching them to be inconsistent. We're teaching them to be inconsistent. During family devotions, they'll hear Romans 11.36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. They'll hear Colossians 1.17 and 18. And he, that is Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. Listen to this. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, some of you know it, preeminent. Preeminent. So everything is from God and through God and to God. Christ holds all things together, and he is absolutely preeminent in the world that he made. And then we're going to send them to a public school for their formal education, during which they'll hear not even a mention of the God whom we told them everything is about. How confusing. How conflicting. How contradictory. Our kids have no clue what Christ has to do with art or literature or history or math or any other cultural product or discovery because we've taught them that he has nothing to do with them by giving them an education that makes no reference to him. Even if it was neutral, it would still be Christless. And I'm submitting to you that a Christless education is not acceptable for Christian children. So it damages our children in that it sends them conflicting messages regarding Christ's preeminence. But it's also damaging in that since it is Christless, it is literally an exercise in non-sense. The fact that public education is an exercise in non-sense should be evident by virtue of the fact that on its watch, we've become the least educated generation in America's history. And yes, that is a verifiable fact. But what I'm interested in is showing you why. It's because Christlessness is senselessness. Christlessness is senselessness. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Colossians 2.3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know what that means? No fear of God, no knowledge. No Christ, no wisdom and knowledge. The fact of these passages is demonstrable in our day with our departure from the fear of God and our rejection of Christ, is it not? We've got no wisdom and knowledge as evidenced by the fact that we want rights and equity and human value to emerge from a godless, purposeless world wherein we're expected to show honor to the soulless descendants of apes. Why? Who says? Nonsense. When we send our children to public school, we're teaching them that the beginning of knowledge is not the fear of the Lord, because we've told them that their entire formal education can be overseen and directed by non-Christians with no reference to God or His Word. 
We are training them to believe that God is unnecessary by removing him from the very thing that we're telling them will prepare them for life, their education. When we send our children to public school, we're sending them to be evangelized by a false religion. We've already demonstrated that secularism is its own religion and that it is not neutral. So here's the question. Would you send your children to be educated in the context of any other false religions? You're going to send them to Muslim day school or maybe v- VQS over the summer? That's vacation Quran school, in case that went over your head. <laughs> you remember the public school system, which is committed to secularism, has a doctrine of creation. It's the Big Bang and Darwinian evolution. It has a doctrine of man, not fallen, not sinful. Since you're basically good, you can trust your feelings. It has a theory of knowledge. Everything that we need to know can be surmised through the use of the scientific method and the application of our reason. We have no need of special revelation. They have a theory of knowledge. It has a standard of ethics too, doesn't it? Tolerance, equity, diversity, inclusion. It's its ethical system. These are the basic components of every religion. It has a metaphysic. It has an epistemology. It has a set of ethics, none of which can be substantiated empirically because it is simply taken on faith because it is a religion. This is a rival religion. And when we send our children to state educational facilities, we are bathing them in the propositions, culture, and laws of that rival religion. And what did the Lord Jesus say? No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. And it is clear from the data which master public school graduates generally end up hating, is it not? When we send our children to public schools, we are boiling a kid in its mother's milk. Exodus chapter 23 verse 19 says, Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What's the principle there? It is to say this, don't use what was meant to sustain or nurture life as a means of harming or destroying it. Education is supposed to sustain and nurture our children's faith in Christ, not hinder, constantly challenge, or undermine it. Here's how I know that for many Christian kids, public school is the spiritual equivalent of boiling a kid in its mother's milk. Because we have a growing number of books, conferences, and summer camps about how to help our children, quote, survive public high schools and colleges with their faith intact. Some of you have seen advertisements for these books, conferences, and camps. Why would we send them to a place that we're just hoping they'll make it out of alive? Why would we intentionally send them to a place where 70% of the professing Christians apostatize? That is the number. 70%. Church, this is why God commands us to give our children a Christian education. Lest they be carried away by hollow and deceptive philosophies, the door to which was opened by us when we decided where they would go to school. Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by hollow, or excuse me, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, if it isn't according to Christ, what is it but empty deceit? 
The question is, does your 13-year-old know that? Can your 13-year-old identify what they're hearing and filter it through a Christian worldview? Not if they haven't had a Christian education. They cannot. Here's maybe an illustration of this. Some of you are, I, I think probably most of you are aware of this phenomenon. How is it that you think the social justice movement has been so easily wed to the Christian church in our time? How do you think that happened? And if you're following what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, then you know that it has in fact been wed to the Christian church. How did that happen? Like, how do, how do things like what is eventually going to be socialism, how do the ideas that plant the seeds for that get wed to the Christian movement, to American evangelicalism? It, it happens because when you go to church on the weekends and read the Bible for 10 minutes in the evening, while getting a secular humanist education for eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, you don't get a fully orbed world and life view that is anchored in Christ. So if he meant anything to you such that you're not one of the 70% that apostatized, you'll simply apply the veneer of Christianity to secular thinking because it's all you're equipped to do intellectually. That's why we've got a generation of professing Christians who want to equate the early church meeting each other's needs in Acts chapter 2 with socialism because they're so biblically illiterate and uneducated that they don't realize that thou shalt not steal also applies to the federal government. Hollow and deceptive philosophies have taken our kids by storm. And now, with the conspicuous emergence of critical race theory, intersectionality, transgenderism, the pulling down and otherwise defacing of historical landmarks in the name of justice and all of these sorts of things that are unfolding before our eyes, we can now finally see that something's wrong. <laughs> something's, something's askew here. But it's time to admit that we did not end up here by accident, nor overnight. This is no coincidence. And there's really no room for the question, how do we get here? We banished our children to this place. We sent them to Christless schools, ensuring that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge would be withheld from them. And then we acted surprised at how unwise and inane they became. We boiled their brains in their education, destroying them with what was meant to make them strong. I do not believe that I've overstated my case. I believe that our present reality buttresses and confirms it. I do pray that my tone has been such that you're contemplative, thinking it through rather than combative. I pray that you are contrite rather than cantankerous and argumentative. I pray that if you're currently sending your child to a public school, that you will prayerfully consider God's word regarding your charge to bring your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and then ask yourself this question. Is church on the weekends and family devotions for 10 minutes a night what he meant by that? Go home today, sit with your spouse, and say to the Lord with the psalmist, search my heart and reveal if there be any grievous way in me. Now, if you're currently providing your children with a non-public education, I want you to search your heart and make sure that it's for the right reasons. Not because COVID complicated things. Right? Not because there was a bullying episode. 
Not because the social scene wasn't benefiting your child. No, we aren't called to give them a non-public education because bullying is a thing or because you didn't want them to wear a mask or because social distancing. That's not the call. That's not the grounding. That's not the reason. We give our children a Christian education because we are Christ's people and he calls us to. If you're currently providing your children with a Christian education, but many of your Christian friends and family are not, lovingly, graciously, initiate that conversation. Help them to see, refute the false doctrines that have led them to make such a decision for their household. And pray that the Spirit convinces and convicts them that they may bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Church, I pray that we will hear this word, receive this word and obey this word. Let's pray. Father God, there's much more that could have been said, even more in the notes before me. But I trust that your word and your spirit will do their work. And Father, again, I I do pray that this message has been heard as grace, peace, life, wholeness, because that's what you're after in all of your commands. Your law is love. And so when you say, this is how you educate your children, it is an education of the Lord, in the Lord, for the Lord, top to bottom. You're saying that because you saw 2021. You know exactly what happens when we don't do this to God. Rather than detailing all of the particulars of that, I'm just asking again that your word and your spirit would do their powerful and strong work in the hearts and lives of your people and bring us into submission to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.